One of my favorite movies is This Is Spinal Tap. It's a music mockumentary of an eponymous heavy metal band, and it is entirely brilliant and hilarious. One of the best scenes is when Nigel, he's the lead guitarist, shows the interviewer his amp collection, and one in particular, one that goes to 11. As Nigel explains, it's one of the loudest, isn't it? You see, most blokes, you know, will be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? Where? The interviewer says, I don't know. Nigel, nowhere. Exactly. What we do, if we need that extra push off the cliff, you know what we do? The interviewer, uh, put it up to 11. Nigel, 11. Exactly. One louder. Now, you'll need to go see the movie to see how that's done well, but <laughs> that's the script. It's fantastic. But what if you didn't play the guitar? What if your instrument, the thing you took to 11, was curiosity about how life works? Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a book that matters to them, that has shaped them, that has moved them in some way. Now, AJ Jacobs plays to 11. He writes in an unusual niche where each book he writes takes his reader on an incredible adventure, one that AJ has lived himself. Here's one example. He decided to be the healthiest person in the world. So he gathered up all the health checks and all the health advice he could find, tried it all, then wrote the book, 11. He did something similar about becoming the smartest man in the world, or the learning, or the learning techniques, 11. And another one involving a beard and robes, but we're going to get to that in just a minute. For now, you might be wondering, so where does AJ come up with these crazy ideas? And I really do try to have a, a sort of a second head on my shoulder, which is always looking like, could that be a good article or a book or a post? Now, I recognize this because I tend to have all sorts of ideas as well. You know, honestly, my team is terrified when I go on a long plane ride because I always come back going, hey, I've been thinking. They're like, oh, no. But here's the hard thing. How do you tell the good ideas from the you know, the crappy ones. Well, AJ has a system he uses to help him sort through these ideas. I choose them based on a few criteria. One is if it really sticks with me for a while, like if it keeps recurring. Two, I do talk about it with friends and just look at their eyes and see what sparks. Uh, I feel it has to have a real impact on my life. So it, it can't just be interesting and quirky like a lot of people say, oh, why don't you try to master the French horn? And I say, you know, I'm not passionate about that. It's just, I, I want to do these big topics that, uh, that will have a big impact on my life and hopefully on the readers when I sort of boil down my lessons. The idea for AJ's most recent book, Thanks a Thousand, ticks this list for sure. Here's how that seed was planted. I'm not very religious, but I do. Tr I did like to do this ritual before meals where I would say, I'd like to thank some of the people who made this meal possible. So I'd like to thank the farmers who grew the tomatoes for our spaghetti sauce and the, the woman who sold me the tomatoes at the uh, 
at the grocery. And my son, who is about 10 or 11, said, Dad, uh, I guess that's okay, but it's also kind of lame because those people are not here. They can't hear you. If you cared, you would go and thank them in person. See, I knew I should have had children. They're a key source for good book ideas. Anyway, AJ took that idea and ran with it. He made it his goal to thank every single person who was involved in making sure he had his morning cup of coffee. The barista, of course, at the cafe, but the the farmer, he went to South America and thanked the farmer. But everyone in between, there was truckers and the people who made the road for the truckers, the the lid designer, uh, on and on. It was just to show how interconnected we all are. I mean, to be honest, I've never really thought about what it takes to make sure I have my morning espresso. And honestly, my morning espresso is critical to my happiness. I mean, how do you even tap into gratitude that is so expansive? I mean, I think, uh, as I say in the book, it really is a, it is a practice. It has to be a discipline because it doesn't come naturally, at least for me. And I think for most people, Mm. you really have to work at it. So I do several things like Uh, I email my mom every morning with one thing that I'm grateful for. When I go to sleep, I, I go through the alphabet and try to think of something I'm grateful for, for every letter. So a, you know, I'm grateful for the, uh, for the apple pancakes that my kids made over the weekend or, or B I'm grateful for uh, MBS. I'm throwing that in there. <laughs> uh, I could save you for M, but I thought I'd save Yeah, thank you. You. you could use me for three of those 26 letters. That's I could right. be a really efficient part of your gratitude process. <laughs> so, AJ, tell us about the book that you've chosen to read for us. I chose a book called The Bible. I think I've heard of that book. <laughs> yeah, it sold a few copies. Uh, it has. As I said, I am not very religious, and um, so it's a, it's a bit of an odd choice for me. But I did write a book about the Bible where I tried to – part of the idea of the book, The Year of Living Biblically, was to see you – know, I grew up very secular, so is there yeah. anything in the Bible that I can take away? Is there, Am I missing something by not paying attention to this extremely important book? So – um, I, I found there is a part of the Bible that I love, and it is, to me, the strangest part of the Bible. It is, I, it's called Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you're familiar right. with it at all. I don't know if I you have a religious back. No. Well, it is weird because it is not like any other book in the Bible. It is right. like a time traveler wrote it like someone from today, like a philosophy professor or a former surfer stoner somehow got in a machine <laughs> and went back in time and wrote it. Right. And it's very philosophical. It's, it's um, all about it, uh, the meaning of life and, and wisdom and how you should approach life. It's supposed to have been written by Solomon is the, uh, or, yes. uh, or Koholet. Before you jump into this, um, I mean, I, perhaps have a similar background to you. I'm, I, I kind of loosely exist within a Christian world, but I'm, I'm secular really, and also an atheist. Um, how did you choose the Bible as your religious text? Cause there are other religious texts that you could have gone to. 
Yeah, well, I, as I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So uh, not uh, very culturally Jewish. But uh, the Bible, of course, is part of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the basis Mm -hmm. of it. And I knew very little about it. And I said, well, one way to learn about something is to try to live it. So I didn't just read it. I tried to live the Bible and follow all of the rules. I wore sandals. I had a robe at one point. I had a beard. So um, it was really a, a wild experience. And it changed. I'm, I'm still, like you, quite secular. And uh, but, but there are many things that I took away. That There's a lot of gratitude in the Bible. There's some yeah. lovely rituals in the Jewish religion that I like, even though I, I'm agnostic. Uh, yeah. So it, it definitely had an, an impact on me. There's also a lot of parts of the Bible that I think are um, we should go out of our way to ignore. You know, there are a lot of ancient right. rules about uh, homosexuality is an abomination, and, uh, yeah. and it's, it's, there's a lot of sexism. So for me, it was a lot about um, cherry picking. People, that has a negative connotation, cherry picking, but I don't see why. Cherries yeah. are delicious. Pick the cherries, pick the ones about compassion and pick the ones about uh, tolerance. And as you'll see, the ones in Ecclesiastes about sort of this Epicurean, almost stoic point of view. Yes. AJ, take us to those two pages in Ecclesiastes that you're going to read for us. Absolutely. Yes, this is sort of the eighth section of Ecclesiastes. And it is a short section, but... I think you'll find it fascinating. So let me read it to you and uh, and see what you think. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. So I already love it. It's very Epicurean carpe diem. Drink and be merry. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, or your husband, or your non-binary partner. That's not in there exactly, but I'm throwing it in. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. That is, that is an intense little passage, isn't it? It's like, it's like bursting, and it, it is stoic in its philosophy. I mean, what, what particularly stood out for you in those, those, that short passage? Well, yeah, it blew me away. I mean, as you say, it's 
It's more in common with Buddhism and Stoicism than it does with what I think of as traditional Judeo-Christianity. I mean, it is it's like life is meaningless, but we got to do the best we can and enjoy it while we're here. And there is dignity and work and doing good and trying to be a good person. I mean, that is so modern to me. It's crazy. And I made a little list. Uh, because the Bible and other parts says preparation is important. So I made a list of sort of the four <laughs> lessons that I took away from this passage that I would oh, that's be wonderful. happy to discuss. Yeah, please. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping one of them touches on the meaningless life, which is a phrase that really kind of jarred me and was unexpected to me. But take us to your first lesson, AJ. Yeah, wasn't that strange? In in the Bible, it's saying life is meaningless. It's so weird because that's right. not what you think. And and, and I also and also the land of the dead, which is you know without wisdom, without time, without purpose, without labor, is yeah. a is is a really unexpected framing of heaven. If that's the kind of the big biblical promise, which is like after death there's heaven, and this is one version of heaven. I'm like that. I wasn't expecting that either. Seems right. a long way away from clouds and and harpsichords and floating around with wings. Yeah, no, it does not sound as nice as heaven. Uh, and I do think, from my research, it seems that the the early uh, parts of the Bible there there wasn't this idea of immortality of the soul. Mm. You lived on through your descendants. Uh, so yeah, it's it is fascinating. It's saying just. We're here for a little and enjoy it and make the best of it. And I actually, I don't think life is meaningless. I think you make your own meaning. And uh, and so I'm going to pretend that the author of this believes that too, which I think if I talk to him or her, they might agree. Um, one phrase that really uh, struck me was, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to them all. And the way I took that to the, the meaning I extracted out of that is, is how much of life is luck. And mm. you can do everything right, but you can still have bad luck. And in one sense, this is sort of a dispiriting notion, but I also right. think it is a wonderful and profound and important framework to go through life because it's so important to compassion for others and compassion for yourself. You can do everything right right and still get a bad break. And, and I always think about how I've had some terrible luck, but I've also had by far more, much more good luck. You know, I, when I started my, my career as a writer, I had this weird idea to write a book about um, Elvis Presley and I, I had no, I had no connections and I had no experience. So I sent a, this idea to like a hundred agents, and one of them happened to be right. an Elvis fan. And if it hadn't landed on his desk, <laughs> and he and I, I yeah. would probably be like you know a, a psychology professor in some small college in the Midwest. I just feel luck is, and acknowledging luck is so important to our happiness and to being good people. Also for me, AJ, there's a mo- the moment in the time where you just don't know whether your luck is good or it's bad. <laughs> it's just a, there's a, there's a twist in the tail and it, and it takes you left instead of right. 
And of course, you then never get to see that sliding door moment around, well, if you <laughs> hadn't got that, what would have then happened? Um, you know, there's a, I'm going to call it a Chinese fable because, you know, it's just, it's one of the ways you make things feel mystical. You go, it's an ancient Chinese fable. <laughs> and, and it's the story of the, the father who has a son. Everybody goes, congratulations on having a son. And the father goes, well, we'll see. And um, the, the son grows up and he becomes a brilliant horse rider. And everybody goes, your son is so brilliant at horse riding. Congratulations. And the farmer goes, well, we'll see. And then the, the son falls down and breaks his leg, has a terrible accident falling off the horse. And everyone's like, that's terrible. And the farmer goes, well, we'll see. And then the, the part of the country goes to war and the, and the recruiters come along and they go, we need, we need all able-bodied people. At, you can't take your son because he's got a broken leg and everyone's like how lucky for you and him and he goes well we'll see and there's that moment where you're like these are all twists on the journey but you don't know which one what what opens up what opportunity i love that but i think there's also there's also a just a bigger a bigger role which is i guess privilege and luck like you and i we're looking at each other on video and you know we're both extremely good looking you know <laughs> <laughs> white straight dudes and um and english speaking and you live in new york and I, I live in toronto most of the time or canberra at the moment with my parents um and it just sets us up to make to be more resilient to the twists in the tail absolutely whereas if i'm if i if i'm born a syrian refugee i, I a syrian and i become a refugee I, it's just harder for me to land on my feet when the twist in the towel happen. Oh yeah. I think about that all the time. And it's not just uh, that. I mean, we could have been born in uh, the 1300s. We could have been a peasant in the 1300s. I mean that one of the big recurring themes that I've written about is just how the good old days were not good. They were terrible. They were violent and diseased and sexist and homophobic. They were just terrible so yeah even though we've got huge problems now i'm not don't want to downplay that but yeah i don't glorify the past i feel lucky i'm alive in this era yeah i mean honestly if i'd been born 13th century because i have a cleft lip and palate i'd have been taken out and left to die on a hillside somewhere because i wasn't i wouldn't have been a viable human being wow so the very the very act of being born you know, in the late 20th century meant that I could have surgery on my, my, my mouth and my lip, which meant that I could, you know, I could, I could eat, let alone go on and have a career and life and all of that good stuff. So yeah, it's a, it is a huge roll of the dice. Absolutely. And acknowledging that, I think, as I say, it, it makes my life better. And I think hopefully it makes me a little bit more of a compassionate and, uh, person who, will pay it forward. But I also want to just comment on, I love the Chi- the possibly apocryphal Chinese <laughs> tale yes. because it, I, 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 I agree. It's very hard to know. Uh, so almost, I think a huge skill is reframing a bad break as right. something that was good for you all. Look at all I learned from, you know, being beaten up in, uh, in middle school <laughs> and, and there's another, there's a, an also probably a proxful Chinese tale of uh, someone asked Mao Zedong, uh, 
was the French Revolution good or bad for the world? And he said, too soon to tell. Right. And this is, uh, what, 200 years after the French Revolution. So it's like, exactly. it's hilarious. Is there a way, I mean, I'm curious to know how that, that skill of reframing, is there, a, is there a moment where you've had a chance to reframe a situation and that's going to help you weather the storm or weather the moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, dozens of times. One was uh, very early in my career when I was trying to sell my first book, a... Yeah. Uh, there was a, one of the publishers said they were interested, but they wanted to see a photo of me. And I said to my agent, you know, what's going on? And he said, oh, don't worry. They just want to make sure you have, you don't have two heads. You can go on a talk show. So I had a photo taken, sent it to them. Two days later, my agent calls and says, well, they passed. They've decided. And I said, what? I'm not, I'm too ugly to be an author. I thought that was the whole point of being an author is you didn't have to be good looking. And, uh, uh, so it was devastating at the time, but, uh, I think, um, maybe it was Nora Ephron who said everything is material. So I've used that in, in talks and in books and I've reframed it, you know, that, uh, as some sort of a lesson in, the the idea you can get rejected and and you're gonna get rejected and embrace yeah. the stock this idea so that was just one example of a, a bad break that i've reframed that's great you know i um the book that's been most successful for me the coaching habit um i self-published because i spent three years trying to get it published with the new york publisher and they kept turning me down and i finally went okay this is the idea it's either a yes or a no and if it's a no i'm walking fully expecting that they wouldn't call my bluff <laughs> and they went, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a no. And I'm like, what? I, I have to say I was pretty dispirited for a while, but what a brilliant gift that turned out to be in that I'm like, okay, I'm going to self-publish it. And now it took off and just in terms of all sorts of reasons that was a brilliant <laughs> outcome for me, but it didn't feel like it in that moment where they finally said no after me spending three years trying to pitch it to them. And they're like, you're so close. Just do this little thing. And I'm like, okay. Oh, anyway. Oh my um, goodness. That is good. Yeah. That's like the, the breaking the leg uh, and getting out of the army. It's like breaking the leg. Exactly right. Um, what, what's your second lesson from that uh, short passage from Ecclesiastics? Well, the second lesson is just that that the very first sentence I read, which said, uh, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, uh, which you also don't expect to see in the Bible, but it is right. uh, the, basically carpe diem, eat, drink, and yeah. be merry, uh, very Epicurean, which is uh, enjoy life. And, and I don't, I hope it's not, um, you know, just get drunk and, and eat a lot of food. I mean, I, I, I interpret it to be a little more, uh, yeah, you know, wine and wine is wonderful, but also there are higher pleasures that you should balance mm -hmm. it with. So, but yeah, to me, that is a, a wonderful, because to me, that is a huge part of life is, is happiness and well being And, uh, and I think that, religion and the Bible get a bad rap in some ways by focusing too much on guilt and, uh, you know, that we're, yeah, this shame is just and a, all of that. Yeah. yeah. Shame. And this is sort of like a, um, a dress rehearsal for the real show, which is heaven. 
But this is, is saying quite the opposite. It also feels to me like what I take from that, and of course one of the great things about passages in the Bible and other places as well, which is like you, you project stuff onto it. So here's me projecting. <laughs> but part of, part of what I get from it, AJ, is you know, it's less a literally go out and drink more wine, but more about whatever you're doing, do it well. You know, be present to that moment, be present to the experience. Um, and, you know, as somebody who lives A, in his head, and B, <laughs> perpetually in the future, um, it's a real call to me to be more grounded in my body and to just acknowledge the, the and be present to the ordinary pleasures of everyday life. I love that. Absolutely. And that was a huge part of the uh, gratitude book was, was trying to savor those little seemingly mundane moments. So just waiting in line at uh, the cafe and forcing myself to just notice, oh, look at that lamp is a lovely shade of purple. And instead of spending all my time scrolling, doom scrolling, <laughs> as they say, but, doom but it, scrolling. But what you said also is overlaps a lot with my third point. Um, right. Because what, I forget how you phrased it exactly, but what, whatever you do, do it. What, what was it again that you were saying? I'm not sure. I think I said whatever you do, do it. Do it well or do it wholeheartedly or do it in the, yes. in the moment. Well, yeah. listen to this. This is another sentence. Right. From every, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So I take that to mean just what you said. Whatever you decide to do, really commit. Uh, and I take, you know, as a writer, you mentioned that early on in the episode. Yeah. That is my, my MO. If I take up a project, I am going to fully commit. I am going to try to do it. Uh, you know, I'm going to follow every single piece of health advice in the world and see what works for me and what doesn't. I like committing. And, uh, and it also relates to the dignity of work because it's saying whatever your hand finds to do, you know, so, so do something in the world, do something, you know, don't just uh, sit back and be a passive observer, you know, get your hands in there and, and try to work and change the world for the better. AJ, how do you find the courage to fully commit because I, and I, I'm asking for a friend, which means I'm asking for me <laughs> because I'm like, I, I, I feel that there are times where I'm like, you know what? I dabble on a different range of dabbliness. You know, sometimes I'm kind of tentative about it. Sometimes I'm a bit more into it, but I, I'm not sure I ever fully go, I'm all in on this. And I think there's something glorious about that full commitment. You know, there's a quote from Napoleon I love, which is like, if you're going to take Rome, take Rome. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe you don't have to actually invade anywhere, but God, what would it be to be fully committed, wholehearted to something? And I'm curious to know what you've learned around what it takes to be fully committed. I do. I have learned a couple of lessons. One is just um, the idea that uh, I pretend, I pretend to be brave and yeah. uh, eventually I become a little more braver. And so I am a big fan of the fake it till you make it, fake it till you feel it, fake it till you become it. The, I love this quote 
There's a quote from the founder of Habitat for Humanity. He said, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So how much yeah. your behavior affects your thoughts. So I'll, I'll be terrified and filled with doubt and, and angst, but I'll pretend I'm going to do this and I'm positive and confident and, and it sinks in. Uh, the second lesson I've learned is just um, uh, one of uh, announcing my plans before uh, so that there's some sort of accountability so that if I don't live a year biblically, I'm, I'm going to be humiliated and my friends are going to make fun of me. So I don't know if that's the best way to motivate yourself, but it certainly does work. That's interesting. It's, it's reminding me that the, the, the two kind of base drivers for people, some want to move away from punishment, others mm. choose to move towards reward. And you know, as you set that up, it makes me think it's a move away from punishment thing. I don't want to risk being humiliated. <laughs> it doesn't work. For, that doesn't work for me so much. I'm like, I'll make declarations and then go, ah, oh, I don't care. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I've been ashamed before. I'll be ashamed again. But the opportunity to move towards a, a reward is what motivates me. It's one of the ways my wife and I are quite different. She's definitely move away from the negative. I'm definitely move towards the positive. I, I, from what I've read, AJ, um, I think it's just one of those wiring things, hmm. which is like, it's part of the secret is knowing what is your motivator hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then using it to, so that this is the, you know, if you're looking to change your behavior, this is the, this is the lever for you. Okay. That's good. I like that. I like being open to yeah. different approaches that work for different people. I think that is, that is very wise. And by the way, that's a segue. I just threw that in because wisdom, that. that was the final uh, four. That was the fourth of my lessons where he says, or she, uh, this actually was, was in a paragraph that I didn't read the following paragraph, but it says wisdom is better than strength. And I love that. I mean, yeah. How can you not love that? It's it's uh, yeah. all about to me anyway. It's all about the you know. Hopefully, we've evolved past might makes right, and we've yeah. evolved to the point where where uh, wisdom and uh, and our thoughts are more important than who can beat up whom. How do you distinguish wisdom from knowledge? I love that question. Because my first book was about precisely that problem. Uh, it was called The Know-It-All. And yeah. I decided to read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z and try to learn everything in the world. And uh, I did it because my dad had started to read the encyclopedia when he was a kid. But he only yeah. made it to the middle of the letter B. So I thought, hmm. well, maybe I should try to restore the family name. Uh, but... It, it was it was fascinating because a lot of it was about what is the difference between knowledge and, and wisdom because I had a tremendous amount of knowledge too much knowledge you know I would right. my wife would find me one dollar for every irrelevant fact I inserted into conversation and I still have some of these facts that I can't get out of my brain like that um right. that Rene Descartes had a fetish for cross-eyed women that was literally <laughs> in the Bible and I don't. I'm, I'm sorry. The Bible. 
it was not in the Bible. That would be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, I was able to extract some wisdom. And I think they're cousins. I think the more knowledge you have, the more opportunity that wisdom will arise. So uh, one piece of wisdom that still affects me today is one that we mentioned earlier, which is that the good old days were terrible because I was right. reading the thousands of years of human history and it was clear to me that it was an, you know, we have been had a violent and uh, disease-ridden history and right. we should strive to for to be better. So I would say I have nothing against knowledge. I do think it's I, 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 I think uh, the metaphor I used was that knowledge can be the uh, almost the gasoline for the uh, wisdom engine. You, you know, you, you need some you need some knowledge so that you know what's going on in the world. But then you need to do something else to that knowledge to figure out what is it. Oh, I actually I just remembered. Yeah. <laughs> There's a quote that I like. I did not come up with it, but uh, I, it said something like, um, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in the fruit salad. Right. That's I nice. Thought, I thought that was nice, even though it's also yeah. a little constraining because maybe you do want the tomato in the fruit salad. Exactly. exactly. I think you've, I think, you know, couture cuisine has maybe moved on and you will find tomatoes and fruit salads. But, you know, as, as you were talking about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, a metaphor came to me as well, and it's this. I think knowledge is us are like sticks. You have a, a, You can get a bundle of sticks, but it's actually in rubbing the sticks together that you create fire, which might be wisdom. Because it seems to me that part of what wisdom is is seeing knowledge in tension with other knowledge and being able to discern a truth between those facts. And, you know, just as you're talking about reading the encyclopedia and going, good old days, not as good as they, they were. We're like, you, you have knowledge about the present, you now have knowledge about the past. That creates wisdom about the difference between them two. I love maybe that. An over, See, maybe you an are elaborate metaphor. You you are very wise. See, there you go. That was that was beautiful. That was a better metaphor, and it actually sparked in my mind another friend of mine who talks about uh, idea sex. How taking two different ideas and merging them together, and you can create something wonderful and new oh, that way. Great. Again, <laughs> this has been such a great conversation. I do have a final question for you. It's yes. One that I've decided to ask at the end of every every one of these interviews. What needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between you and me? Well, I might go for thank you. Maybe you did say it. Maybe I said it at the beginning. But uh, but I really, I am an overthanker. So I do want to thank you for having me on your show. And also, I loved it because you sometimes interviews are just there's this phrase, um, picking your brain, which is yeah. to me a terrible phrase. It's like, who wants their Horrible. brain picked? Yeah, that Horrible. is. Yeah. Whereas I felt that I, 
uh, was in a conversation where I learned and and you contributed equally, if not more. So uh, so thank you. What I love about this conversation, well, really what I love about how AJ lives his life is that he holds two essential tensions about what I think makes for a good life. First, if you're going to commit, commit. You know, Napoleon was once rumored to say, if you're going to take Rome, take Rome. And it's so hard and it's so rare to fully commit to something that matters, to go all in. And it's scary and it's bold. But balancing that, and I love this in AJ, you really heard it in the interview, is curiosity and its dance partner, humility. It's not with AJ kind of commit and plow on regardless. It's commit and be surprised and be amazed. There's no cynicism, no random macho bravado. It's acting your way into being brave. You remember when he said that? I love this open-hearted pleasure and amazement at the brilliance and the absurdities of this world and of this life. Now, if you want to find out more about AJ, you can check him out at ajjacobs.com, ajjacobs.com, and social media with the same tag as well. And of course, thanks for listening to the podcast, Two Pages with MBS. It's so great that you're listening to it, that you're spreading the word if you are spreading the word, that you're listening all the way to the end, you know, as a podcaster and uh, part of the team producing this, I'm always grateful. I'm especially grateful if you choose to pass the word on. You know, this conversation about experimentation, about thinking, about opening yourself up to new ideas, about the courage to try stuff that's new and different and interesting, the capacity to stay curious. You know, if there's somebody in your life who you think, yeah, they might really enjoy that conversation, well, please pass the word along. I'd certainly be grateful. And of course, it's always great to get a review on your podcast platform, whatever that is. I'll just say this, you are awesome and you're doing great.